All right, what's up, guys? It is time for episode 13 of Believe in Queens, your New York Mets podcast here on the Believe Network. I'm Joe Serralo, joined, as always, by my guys, Anthony Recker, former New York Met, and Tyler Ward, Wardy NYM. We've got a lot to dive into. The Mets are coming off a sweep of the Cincinnati Reds. Folks, the Mets have won six in a row, all by three or more runs. You know what that means. They're covering the run line. And for the latest lines, the latest odds, and the latest developments, you can head over to Bet Online. Head over to betonline.ag. Get in your MLB bets, your NFL bets. Week one's right around the corner. You can play futures as well for both the MLB postseason and the NFL postseason. And use that first time welcome code, Believe50. That's B L E A V 50 for your first time 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, it's where the games begin. Guys, let's dive in to the episode. Anthony. Didn't have you last episode, man. It was a fun one. A lot of Braves wins to talk about. I mean, this team is just scorching hot. What's been your biggest takeaway, not only from the Cincinnati Reds sweep, but also from the Braves series before that as this team's riding a hot streak? Yeah, look, if if we're going to talk about just the last week, it's just the way this team is really coming together. um, They seem like they're firing on all cylinders right now. Starting rotation, Looks phenomenal. Obviously, getting Jake back is is huge. Uh, but seeing him pitch the way that he did his last time out uh, against the Reds that was that was unbelievable. Um, I'm sorry, against the Braves, <laughs> I'm losing track now. Uh, that matchup against Spencer Strider was just something to watch. He w- he was dealing that whole game. Uh, he looked like vintage Degrom. Was perfect through what was it five and two thirds. It was unbelievable uh, to watch him go out there and be so consistent. Uh, just in just the second start back, it, it was it was really phenomenal. But the rest of the staff, the rest of the starting rotation has been great too. Uh, you saw Bassett, Carrasco, Walker all pitch really well. Yes, it was the Reds, but they looked great, and Scherzer's looked great all year. Uh, the way this team, the offense, like you said, they're scoring runs. I think they've scored five or more in like eight straight or something. They are just really on a roll right now, um, you know. And this team is really coming together. It starts to remind you and it reminds me of that 15 team when we made some acquisitions, we had some energy all of a sudden, and we just went on a run the rest of the season. And it really was we didn't look back. Um, You know, we saw this Braves team start to catch up to this this Mets roster and start to make haste and, you know, get it back, get it down to a half a game not that long ago. And then this Mets team, they made some acquisitions. They've really gotten hot. And now they seem to be almost just running away with the division again. So it's really impressive. Um, Firing on all cylinders, like I said. Still a little bit worried in that bullpen, but I'm still excited to see what happens. Uh, You know, when Trevor May hopefully gets a little bit more acclimated and uh, and if they eventually and when they eventually put Tyler McGill and David Peterson there as well. Yeah, Tyler, what about you, man? That series, obviously, you and I did the show after the Braves series, but Cincinnati, I know you were at one of those games. What was the biggest thing that you saw close up? I mean, close up, that was game two of this series, and it was Cookie Carrasco. That was a big one for me because Cookie was phenomenal at nine strikeouts. He gave up that bomb, I believe, in what was it, like around the sixth or seventh inning to Fraley, who hasn't done much all year, but did have a good series against the Mets, so he deserves credit. But outside of that, I think my biggest takeaway was not just how well Cookie shoved, but his ability with that slider. And that's something that, that he actually credited Max Scherzer with as Max just a couple days ago, the day prior was talking with the entire staff and just talking about how to get behind the baseball when you're throwing those pitches. And cookie said that, 
even though that he didn't maybe make a remark, make a comment as Scherzer was talking, he was absorbing that information and he had that mindset on the bump against the Reds. And that led to a lot of swing and misses. Six of his nine Ks, I believe, were from the from the slider. He just looked masterful. I was behind home plate and right around section 319. The SNY booth was right above me. I was trying to get Keith's attention. Wasn't going to happen. He was locked in, of course. But the Mets were locked in, too, not just with some great pitching, but also with that clutch offense that you see time and time again. You know, in game one, when they won 5-1, who were the stories of the game? You ha- saw a lot of big guys. Charlie Marte with a two-run bomb early. Then you saw Daniel Vogelback with an RBI single. Vogue, I, I mean, I, I have a lot to say about Vogelback, but I feel like <laughs> I do every single time that we record since the Mets acquired him. He's just been that good for the Mets. And a guy that I emphasize a lot, Joe, heading into this Red Series was the former Red and Tyler Naquin. I was really looking at him as a guy to step up against his former team, a depleted Reds team. And he came in like no tomorrow that we saw with a huge opportunity that we got there. He got himself in the eighth. He got a pinch hit two RBI triple for the Mets, which was massive. I mean, Tyler Naquin, Darren Ruff, Daniel Volgeback, doesn't matter who they're throwing out there. They've all been spark plugs for this Mets offense right now and it led them to success. And game two, the 6-2 victory as well. You saw Francisco Lindor with a two-run bomb after being robbed of what looked like a near three-run bomb or two-run bomb because of Albert Amora Jr. in game one with a phenomenal catch. He didn't do that as much with the Mets, but it is what it is. Lindor made up for it the next day. And Lindor, again, is a huge story in the Mets right now, as is Jeff McNeil in that game, too. Had a solo bomb, had himself with an RBI single. All these guys were contributing. McNeil's hit streak now is up to 13 games. Francisco Lindor, as you got into game three as well, was doing phenomenal things. And he tied David Wright's record for 13 straight games with a run scored and tied Jose Reyes' team record with the most RBIs in a season by a shortstop with 81. And oh yeah, he still has 50 more games to go. So when you look in the Mets, how they're clicking on all cylinders right now, I expect this. I expected the Mets going to this and steamroll and have a series sweep. Maybe not something we expected a lot earlier in the first half of the year as they really struggled to get series sweeps for this team. Even against depleted rosters, they were getting adjusted still. But with these new acquisitions, with the pitching staff just being rock solid every single day, Seabass went eight strong, only gave up one run, had himself eight strikeouts in game one. Then you saw everyone else from the likes of Cookie and then Ty having his solid outing, a nice bounce back against the Braves. So you look at this team as a whole right now, this is the best baseball that they're playing all season, and this is great as we will eventually get into the show against the Phillies. But going back to you, Joe, what was your biggest takeaway about this series, and were there any players that really stood out to you? Because for me, I mean, take your pick. There's an endless list, basically one through nine, that you could say that, yeah, these guys definitely stepped up, not just against the Reds, but over the past week plus, really since the All-Star break. Yeah, Tyler, I mean, it's really tough to pinpoint just one guy or even a handful of guys. I think you named all 26 guys on the roster uh, right there. Talk <laughs> Not about 27. You. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, right now it really is a collective team effort, whether it's the starting pitching. I mean, Anthony, to your point, I think the bullpen right now is probably the most suspect part of this team, but the starting pitching has been nails for the better part of six weeks. The lineup one to nine is hitting. For me, if, if I have to narrow it down to one guy or maybe one group of guys, Let's talk about the new guys. I mean, the new guys have been absolutely sensational. All three of them being Vogelback, Naquin, and Darren Ruff hitting north of 300. You've got Ruff, who's already had some clutch hits despite, you know, really the fewest at-bats out of all of them because he's only playing against lefties. Naquin showing that his pop is not limited to Great American Ballpark. Rec, I mean, you know, we all know that's one of the easiest parks to hit in in baseball, but Naquin showing he can hit him out at City Field. Even that triple just missed being a home run. 
And then Vogie. I mean, Vogie, we all know he's got the pop. The guy's a 300-pounder. But he's also putting together incredible at-bats, like Brandon Nimmo, you know, Luis Guillorme-esque at-bats. He's got a great eye. Only Juan Soto, statistically, has a better eye in the MLB. So for me, I mean, it's that group of new guys. Rec, you were there 2015. You saw the Juan Uribe effect, the Kelly Johnson effect. You know, we didn't quite get the Cespedes this year. But what stands out among these new guys that, you know, really, in your opinion, makes them just as important as the Cespedes, Uribe, Johnson trio of 2015? Well, what's great is when we were going out and and bringing guys in in 2015, there weren't necessarily specific holes we were filling. It was more like we needed a big bat in the middle of the lineup, a clutch guy. Okay. Yoannis Cespedes ends up coming over. Yeah, that's the guy. And then we needed depth. And it was, okay, who can we find on the market? Some veterans who have experience. Yeah, Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson. Okay, yeah, those are great names. Let's let's plug them in there. With this squad, what they've done, and they found guys specifically who excel at certain things, whether it's Vogie against righties, rough against lefties, or of course Naquin. This guy, look, he can get he can get cold, but he can get hot, and he's hot right now. He's feeling it when he's hitting against righties. This guy is great, and he's got pop. Like you said, one of the things I loved when I played with him, he plays so hard, um, and and like I said, he can carry your team at times, and that's what we're seeing already. So what I'm seeing from these guys is we brought him in for specific reasons. And they're already paying dividends in those areas. And to me, that just equates to, A, this front office obviously knew what they were doing and felt like when they brought these guys in, they were going to have a much larger impact than people realized. And two, they feel comfortable. They feel good in this clubhouse. And they're having a really good time because they're able to come in and just step right up and do their job the way that they've always done. And they do it really well. Uh, Like you said, with Vogie, the at-bats, the way he puts them together. I remember facing him in the minor leagues. That's exactly who he was. And Darren Ruff has been a lefty killer his entire career. Yeah, Tyler. Okay, so I got to deep dive just a little bit further on these guys, okay? For the people that aren't paying attention on how well they're doing right now, not just Vogelback having four RBIs in the series, not just Tyler Naquin looking great, not just Darren Ruff having a couple RBIs, but also in that game, too, in which I was in attendance, a big vocal point of that game for me was – I believe that was later in the game. Let me double check to just make sure I have my numbers right. Yeah, it was later in this one. And Darren Ruff, he's matched up righty on righty. And people were wondering why the Mets maybe went with that matchup. Well, I saw right in the bullpen, Reds had a lefty ready to go. So in case they wanted to bring in Vogel back, they were going to do lefty on lefty. So Buck's mindset was, I trust Darren Ruff righty on righty more than I do Vogie versus a lefty. So it was still a decent matchup. And first pitch, Sweeney got himself a two RBI single or a double rather. And it was just huge to see from the Mets in that spot to continue to get contributions from these guys while facing the pitchers that maybe they haven't done as great against this year. So yes, they're platoon guys, but you see Ruff having that ability to face a right-hander without a problem, as did Tyler Naquin with a double in game three off a lefty. So I just love the fact that these guys are coming in right now. And yes, they're utilized perfectly in these platoon roles versus righty versus lefty. But even when they have to be matched up, you know, right on right, left on left, they're still having strong at-bats. Yes, it's against the Reds, but it's still important to see. It's definitely positive for this club. And overall, for the Mets right now, when you look at Daniel Vogelback, two home runs, 10 RBIs, a 341 average, over 1,000 OPS in 15 games. Tyler Naquin, three home runs, seven RBIs, a 367 uh, average, and over right around 1,300 OPS in 10 games. Darren Ruff, five RBIs in five games, 
with 333 average and an 800 OPS. So talking about consistency, that has been this entire group that Billy Epler acquired leading up to the traded line. And it's paying dividends like no tomorrow for this Mets club as truly riding high as they have a big stretch of games coming up starting tonight at the time of people watching or listening to this for Believe in Queens episode 13. Yeah, and right before we get into tonight's game and this series with the Phillies coming up, you know what these moves almost remind me of? It's almost like watching Moneyball in the sense that, you know, look, not necessarily that we're trying to nickel and dime and only get cheap guys, but we didn't go out. We didn't get that huge name, that Yoannis Cespedes a la 2015, but we're kind of plugging and playing guys to fit our needs. You know, like Scott Hatterberg, his big thing was he gets on base and, you know, we want a guy that's going to get on base. Vogie, I think, is a better hitter than Hatterberg was, but, you know, Vogie's got that great eye, that great OBP. We're just plugging away, you know, mixing and matching guys for matchups. And it's, it's got almost that money ball feel to it. Hopefully it ends a little better than the A's season did that year. Anthony, were you, were you still a fan back then? What is that? Oh, Ab- you were still an A's fan, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was high school, college. I mean, that was right on the, that was in the middle of my fandom. Uh, that was, it seemed like every year we got to the playoffs and we lost to the Yankees, but uh, it was, <laughs> a, it was a great time to be an A's fan then. Yeah, I mean, uh, does this remind you of, of that a little bit? You know, not necessarily the biggest names. Obviously, look, we came into the season with the star power. We had the Alonzo, Lindor, Marte, you know, preseason. But with these acquisitions, you know, a lot of unsung heroes lately. A- any uh, any similarities there for you? Absolutely. Those teams were so much fun to watch. They played the game the right way. That's part of the reason I loved being an A's fan when I was a kid. Um, they just played a different brand of baseball. And that's what you see from these Mets. They They don't make mistakes. Um, they're very well schooled they're, They go out there. Fundamentals are great, but they're exciting. They play exciting baseball. I can remember, and, and this isn't to throw shade on, on last year's team, but I can remember watching these games last year and I was bored watching the Mets play baseball. And this That's is a an completely different, completely <laughs> different brand of baseball. And it's really fun to watch. It's amazing. The transition from one year to the next. Obviously, there's some different personnel, but the coaching staff and the way they've surrounded this team, it's just a completely different feel. And it, it really is a lot like those A's teams from the early, the late 90s, early 2000s that were just a really fun bunch of guys to watch. Yeah, you know, that is a great point about the team being boring. I actually went to a game with a girl I was dating last year, and in the fifth inning, she asked if we could leave. Now, look, <laughs> maybe that was a sign that she were, wasn't really the one for me, but I was also like, you know what, you got a point. This team kind of sucks. I mean, Carrasco pitched that night, and he was giving up, you know, guaranteed homer in the first inning every game last year. It was just, it's a totally different team. I wish people who, you know, are part of the baseball's dead crowd or the baseball's boring crowd, I wish they could be at City Field when Edwin Diaz runs out in the ninth inning to the trumpets. I mean, it, it really, it doesn't feel like a ball game at that point. It feels like, you know, it feels like a concert. It feel, It's the place just, I've the last time I saw it anywhere close to this was 2015. We've got a huge weekend series ahead of us. The Phillies are rip-roaring hot right now. And they've got their two aces on the bump. We've got our two aces on the bump. It's going to be a fun one. Rec, let's start Friday night. Ranger Suarez, Max Scherzer. You know, the Mets have struggled a bit against lefties all year. Done much better as of late. Suarez has yes. also been pitching great as of late. And, you know, Scherzer is just Scherzer. So what are you looking for in this game? Uh, to me, this one's all about uh, this lineup against Ranger Suarez. Because like you said, he has been better of late. Uh, he had a great year last year. And then 
this year started out really slow. And like you said, the Mets started out slow against lefties too, but they have absolutely picked it up against lefties. So I think this matchup is going to be big. Uh, we're going to see, you know, obviously we're probably going to see Darren Ruff in the starting lineup. Uh, I'm guessing at DH and then we're going to go from there. I'm guessing Cannon will be out and left. You'll have your typical outfield then that we saw most of the year with Cannon, Nimmo and Marte. Um, but really looking forward to how they attack Ranger Suarez, make him throw pitches, make him because he's not a guy who goes deep into ball games. He's not a guy who goes out there and gives you seven, eight, nine innings. Uh, you know, this was a guy who was a reliever when he first came up and he became a starter. And so really it's all about just making him work, making see see if you can get into that bullpen, especially when you have a three game set against him now, but another four game set against them, I believe, later uh next week. So that's gonna be big. You get into the bullpen now. You kind of get them tired out, and then when you face them again in a few days, uh, you know you get that tired bullpen when they come in again. So really fun to see. Hopefully, a team attack this, uh, you know, these starters the same way that they did those Atlanta starters. Really make them work, get into that bullpen, and then you wear them down uh, because this is a team, like you said, that's really hot. They they struggled today against the Marlins. I'm sorry, this will be yesterday, I guess. Now, uh, when you listen to this one, but against Edward Cabrera and the Marlins. He was fantastic uh, watching him and watching that game. But this Phillies lineup has been really good. JT Realmuto did not start in that game. He will be obviously out there uh, for these games against the Mets. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, Max Scherzer, I expect him to go out there and dominate the way he always does. And, and real quick, Tyler, before we get to you, because obviously you and I are going to be at this game and we're both excited as hell. We've got a lot to get to. But Rec, this is a team that has now between the Braves series, five games in four days, the Reds, three games in a row. They've played a lot of baseball, but they're hot as hell. So if you're a guy on that roster, does the off day hurt you or help you there? Do you guys, when you're playing that hot, do you not care about how many games you're playing? No, I, the off days are always, they're always welcome. They're always tight uh, <laughs> for store eyes, especially after that five game set in four days and then three against the Reds. And look, those Reds, by the way, they came in playing pretty good baseball, even though they yeah. have sold the farm, if you will. Um, you know, they came in winning winners of three of their last three series. So, uh, you know, for the Mets to just handle them the way they did, I thought that said a lot about them. But yeah, no, I, I don't think the off day is going to affect them at all. I think it's very welcome. I was a little worried that there'd be a letdown in the red series from such a high energy brave series that they just had. That didn't happen. And I don't expect there to be any letdown uh, in a big series against Philly. And it's always a fun series against Philly. There's always a little bit of extra juice uh, in your veins for this one. Yeah, definitely. Tyler, look, we got Scherzer on the bump, man. I'm freaking stoked. There's no other way to put it. It's my first and only regular season trip. And I emphasize regular season trip to city field that I'll be making this year. So the fact that we get to see Scherzer in the black unis on a Friday night, I mean, how excited are you? And then, of course, what's the biggest thing you're looking for in the matchup? Oh, I'm absolutely pumped. I've, I've been spoiled. This will now be, I'm pretty sure, my fourth time seeing Mad Max in person this year. I feel like every single time wow. I go to games, he's on the bump. And he's been an absolute stud every single time. So it's going to be electric. As Joe already alluded to, both him and I will be in attendance for this game tonight at the time of recording this. Whatever you guys are watching this, rather, or listening. And Rec is going to be covering the game as well for Apple TV. So we're all going to be doing this in a different way, absorbing this Mets matchup Friday night in the black jerseys. It's going to be an absolute blast. but. I'm excited for Max. I think mean, this is huge for him. I could be wrong, but I know that for certain. Yeah, I actually am wrong, so I'm not even going to bother saying it. But I know that <laughs> that series, I'm pretty sure when Max was uh, pitching, 
maybe it was the black unis or one the Mets wore the black unis rather when they had that combined no hitter against the Phillies. And then Max pitched, I believe, the final day. That was a Sunday night game, and the Mets still won. It, there was a lot of home runs going left and forth, but the Mets still got the series dub without a problem. And I I, I expect the same, and I think Max is definitely gonna put a statement down on this Phillies team. Granted, they have been red hot. Let's not forget that. Post All-Star break, especially as great as the Mets have been, the Phillies have been right behind. They've been neck and neck right now and how well both these teams have been performing respectively. The Phillies are 62 and 49 on the year. They're 10 and a half back of uh, first place in the NL East, but they are currently in the second wildcard spot at the time recording this. So they're locked in for playoffs as we speak, and they're definitely going to try to continue this hot wave of a push. Yes, they lost today 3 0 to the Marlins at the time recording this, but they're still going to come guns a blazing. And I expect Max too. Now, on the season for Max, he's 2 and 1 against the Phillies with a 4.24 year rate. 23 strikeouts in 17 innings. He's had either seven or nine strikeouts in each of his three starts. And without Bryce Harper in this lineup, too, I love the chances further. And Max is coming in and shutting down, getting a lot of swing and misses against a Phillies team that is very home run happy, very similar to Braves S. They've gone their act together as of late, but they're still a team that is very much relying on a home run ball at times. And then Ranger Suarez as well. I know that the Mets only faced him once this year, but the Mets did do a good job against him, had three earned runs and only 2.2 innings. I'm pretty sure Suarez was either on a pitch count or was hurt because, again, it was, I think, April 11th. So he's not the same Ranger Suarez that the Mets saw in the beginning of the year. Let's see how different he is. But this is a very big matchup for the Mets. This is how you start this series with a statement. I expect them to do that. Mad Max, I fully expect them to go at least seven, shove, give up one or two earned runs at most, hopefully. Knock on wood. I'm not going to try to jinx anything here. But then we get into game two, and that's a huge one that I'm so excited to hear everyone's opinions about, right? Jacob DeGrom on the mound for the first time against the Phillies this year. First start that comes to my mind years ago was Jake during a day game. As all you guys probably know, when he's a day game, he's not, he's the best pitcher in baseball regardless, but day games, he's like unprecedented. No one even touches him. He would have had a no, no. I'm pretty sure if it wasn't for the opposing pitcher for the Phillies getting a base knock that game, that was the first thing that came into my mind, but I think game. Yeah, perfect game. Perfect yes, game. yep. I, I was watching at home with my buddy who's a Phillies fan. I was going raving, going nuts by the fact that Jake's perfect game got broken up. So good for him. But regardless, Jake, I'm so pumped up for this one against Aaron Nola. So, Joe, going back to you as we go from game one to game two, what is the biggest thing you're looking for in this monster pitching matchup for Nola, who's been really strong this year, and for Jacob DeGrom, who, again, is Jacob DeGrom? Well, you know, for me, it's the biggest thing in both games. It's just how well are Max and Jake going to perform? Because Maybe I'm in the minority here. This Philly lineup, as hot as they are, it doesn't scare me all that much. Because who had a hotter lineup in baseball before we played them, you know, two very recent series than the Atlanta Braves, right? The Braves have probably top to bottom when they're healthy, a better lineup than the Phillies. Especially right now, the Phillies are missing, you know, the biggest cog in that, and that's Bryce Harper. So it's not so much a matter of guys like Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber really instilling fear in me. No disrespect to Schwarber. Obviously, 34 home runs, he leads the National League. But, you know, a guy like Max, a guy like Jake, when they're on, you know, they're putting the ball wherever they want, right? They're pulling strings on their changeups. Jake, I feel like we've barely even seen his changeup because his slider is 96 with razor blade <laughs> movement. I mean, it, it's, it's stupid. It really is stupid. I'd say it's like you're watching or like you're playing a video game, except you can't make a slider in the show go 96 miles per hour. The game won't actually do that. So it, it's you're watching guys do unseen, unheard of things. It all comes down to them. You know, the Phillies lineup, I'm not concerned. They strike out a ton. In fact, both Max and Jake have career K rates of 40% against these current Phillies hitters. Wow. 
So, I mean, you know, it's, it's an all or nothing lineup. And how have the Mets done against the Braves? How have the Mets done against the Yankees? We've dominated those all or nothing lineups this season. This is going to be more of the same to me. I don't know. Do I sound a little too cocky, Anthony? I mean, you know, correct me if uh... <laughs> I look when you talk about Jake against these Phillies, uh, like you guys said, I, I love the matchup. I, th- I think he's going to dominate. I think Max is going to have really good series, uh, really good game uh, tomorrow night or tonight as, as you're, you're listening to this. Uh, this is going to be a fun one because realistically getting to see these two back to back again against a team like Philly that's in our division, that's always been a rival. And like we said, they've been hot. I really like seeing guys like JT Realmuto, guys like uh, Alec Bohm's been hot. Reese Hoskins has been hot. So all these guys really got it going right now, and they're about to face two of the best pitchers in, in the National League, if not the two best, uh, certainly the best in Jake. And I, I think it's a bigger test than they uh, are probably ready for. Uh, all that said, I will say that this Philly team has surprised me a little bit uh, whether it's been of late or on the season, just ever since basically they parted from Joe Girardi, they've really been pretty consistent because they've been getting good starting pitching, which we knew they would all year. But this offense has come around to the point where Alec Bohm has been really good. Uh, but these guys do have some splits against righties and lefties that favor left-handed pitching rather than right-handed pitching. So having our two guys on the mound in Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom in the first two games, uh, obviously both right-handers and uh, looks like Chris Bassett probably for game three, uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for these Phillies facing the Mets uh, starting rotation right now because they're they're just as hot on the other side, and it's really going to be a fun matchup. What, what really comes down to, to me, is actually going to be the bullpens because we're going to get good pitching from the Phillies. They got Wheeler going in that third game. That's going to be a fun one to watch. He's always done pretty well against the Mets. Uh, you know, and honestly, Aaron Nola has struggled at times against the Mets. So this will be really interesting. I love Pete, Pete against Aaron Nola. That's always been a fun matchup to watch. Um, this is going to be a lot of good individual matchups throughout this series, but I think it's going to come down to the bullpen. Edwin Diaz he hasn't been used. He wasn't used at all in that red series. Is there a little bit of rust there? I don't know. We'll see that has not affected him all year when he's had longer layoffs. So I think he'll be just fine. And I think this Mets team has a really good shot to at least take two out of three, if not sweep it. And speaking of Nola, once more, before we get into, you know, wrapping up game three and everything that that else needs to be known about the series, Nola on the season has right under a four-year right and three starts. He's 0-2. He has 21 strikeouts and 16.1 innings. However, last time that Nola was on the bump against the Mets, he went seven strong, only giving up one earned run. So the last time earlier this year, he definitely grounded himself versus his first two starts. And Nola was that story where last year he would have been such a better pitcher if he had a competent defense behind him. This year he's been able to handle that, you know, incompetent defense behind him still. It's not like it changed much. If anything, it got worse. But you look at this matchup for the Mets, and you're right. The Mets have had a lot of good matchups against Aaron Nola. But he, again, has really come a long way down the stretch of season and has helped fortify this rotation for the Phillies and make it far better than I think people seem to realize now that they add Noah, now that they add David uh, David Robertson to the pen. Their pitching has quietly gotten better. So it's going to be a very exciting matchup there in game two with Jake, who I'm just really curious to see if he's going to get upwards of 15 strikeouts or if he's going to be on the lower end of tw- uh, lower end of 10. I think he's really going to be strong for the Mets. If I mean, quite honestly, putting all bias aside, if he can do 12 and not even six innings against the Braves, I feel decently confident about him carving up pretty well against this Phillies team without Bryce Harper, too, for that matter. But, Joe, uh, any final takeaways on Game 2 before we kind of deep dive more on Game 3 and get into some further things about this matchup? 
Well, I'm going to yield my time, Your Honor, because I think Anthony's dying to say something. So. Go, oh, go! I didn't <laughs> see. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed that we're not going to get to hear Keith Hernandez talk during this series because, <laughs> as you guys probably heard, he has requested to SNY not to cover the Phillies. He's sick of watching their incompetence, if you will, and I think that's. I thought that was as Keith as it gets. Um, uh, this guy, look, I, obviously I know Keith pretty well. I got to work with him. I got to play when he was, you know, when he was calling games, there's nothing this guy says that surprises me or, you know, or it takes me back. But I thought that was absolutely hilarious that he just came out and flat out said that on the air. Yeah. By the way, I don't want to watch these Phillies because you know what, honestly, they're just not they're terrible. Uh, they have bad fundamentals. They don't play defense. It was really funny, and I just I had to get that in there because my guy Keith, uh, he let the Phillies have it a little bit. Did you guys it was see what was said? I'm sorry, Joe, to cut you off. Did no. you see what someone through NBC tweeted to Keith Hernandez yesterday regarding the Phillies? Oh, wasn't it when Alec Bohm made a play in the announcer? No, 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 no. Oh, it wasn't the Phillies announcer it, it was when like that, Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Go. No, no, no. Alec Bohm just made like a, a decent play in the Phillies game last night. And their announcer goes, oh, was that good enough for you, Keith? Like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, you will never be as good as the Mets booth. I don't know what you're trying down in Philly, but it was Castellanos making a routine catch and right. And then he threw it back mm. to first and they doubled up. I'm like, congratulations. Maybe Keith wants to make sure he doesn't watch the Marlins either. Cause they have poor base running there. Like, I don't know what your takeaway is. I'm sorry. Like, uh, is this really what we come to Phillies fans? Come on, yeah. stop the nonsense. But yeah, the, let, the, fun, let, the fundies are atrocious. Look, look, we've got plenty more in this series to talk about, but Anthony, just, you know, since you know, <laughs> Keith so well, and obviously since, He's such an integral part of, you know, not only the Mets today as a broadcaster, but their history as a player, as a captain, as a World Series champion. Not too many Mets can say that. How awesome is it to see the role that he's had in the team this year with Steve Cohen, telling him, you know, picking him up in spring training on the golf cart, being like, you know, Buck Showalter, being like, why aren't you around the guys? Why aren't you around the team? Being like, no, you're a part of this team. How much do you think that's really helped not only his relationship with the team, but also, I mean, these guys get to learn from one of the best gap-to-gap hitters and best fielders of his generation. Yeah, 100%. I think when Steve took over, uh, you know, before last season, he made it a point to start bringing guys around again, guys who meant a lot to this organization uh, because, A, Steve, I'm sure as a fan, just wanted them to be around. But, yeah, to have that, um, you know, the, the guys who came before you be a part of that clubhouse a little bit just for a day or two here and there in spring training or whatever it may be, that interaction and, and picking their brain and talking to them. Uh, look, I came up in the Oakland clubhouse and I had guys like Ricky Henderson around and uh, that stuff is invaluable. I, I've, when I was with the Mets, I saw Mike Piazza all the time. I remember talking to him about catching, about hitting, but all kinds of things. So when you have guys like that around, you just natural conversations take place and it's, it's beautiful because you can learn so much. You can learn about, just how incredibly talented they were because some of the things they say, like they don't even make sense, but you know, that's what they thought and it worked for them. But then you also get to have uh, some really good 
just nuggets of information that you can take and use in your game, whether it's mentally, physically, whatever it may be. Um, it's very important to have guys like that around. And it's, I think it brings the fans into a whole different level. I'm really excited for the old old timers game that the Mets are throwing uh, later this month. It's going to be a really, really fun time and a great time to be at City Field. So I just I love what the front what what Steve is doing, um, you know, as far as bringing these guys around a lot more around the clubhouse and for these fans. Yeah, but how the hell are you not on that old timers roster? I mean, nah, what the- come on, guys. No, <laughs> look, 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 look. I love Josh Tolley. I was at the no-hitter, and him catching that, you know, he'll forever be ingrained in Mets history. But he's on the roster. Why the hell aren't you? I mean, you you absolutely, Anthony, you were a fan favorite, right? Forget being a starter versus not. You were a fan favorite. You belong on that old-timers day roster. I mean, look, whether I do or not, I'm not going to – I have no say in that. If they ask me – I will be there. That's all I'll say. Hopefully <laughs> they do this down the road a couple of times and I'll have my opportunity then. Uh, Matt, and if I know. do, by the way, I, I, I have to promise you, uh, we, we were texting about this earlier. I can't hold back. So <laughs> I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to hurt somebody while I'm out there and I'm not going to feel bad about it because that's just the way I play. I'm sorry. That's the way I played. That's the way I play we'll see what happens. Maybe I won't get an invite now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All I ask, man, is like one of those balls in the top row right there is an autographed Ed Crane football. And he is one of the most beloved members of the New York Mets franchise. If yep. he's blocking your base path at first base, the guy's got to be pushing 80 now. All right. Just take it a little easy on him. Maybe, maybe going for the dive, like head first, like foul side of the bag. Don't be running over Eddie Cranepool. All right. Maybe we'll have the softball bag, the extra bag on this. Yeah. On the outside, so I'll just run over that or something. There you go. There you go. I'm sure I'm sure if you run into, uh, you know, your old buddy, dude, I know you mentioned off air that you're close with him. Well, I mean, he might be delivering the hit at that point. He, he's uh, that'd be Big some boy. collision. That'd Big be. Boy. Yeah. Oof, you and Luca, did you guys ever like hop on a plank in spring training or anything? Settle it like football players? No, no, he's not that kind of guy. And neither am I. We were, we were two big softies, man. That's why we got along <laughs> so well. I love it. I love it. Hey, Wardy, let's get back to this series, man. Jake and Max, obviously, you know, the big headliners Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Chris Bassett, Zach Wheeler, probably the Phillies best pitcher this season. I mean, Nola's great. Not going to dispute that, but he's had inconsistencies this year. Wheeler, ever since his slow start, his first three games, he has been lights out for the most part for Philly. But Chris Bassett lately, I mean, pick your guy. Everyone in this rotation has been hot as hell lately, but Bassett, he's shown that fight that for a while I was kind of questioning. I was kind of doubting. His last six, seven starts have been absolutely incredible. So what do you think about that Sunday matchup, Wardy? I think that this is going to be a perfect way to cap off the series, right? Because regardless on how games one and two go, yes, we're spoiled with seeing Max and Jake for those first two games. But let's not denounce the overall pitching matchup we get here in game three. Now, I will always have a soft spot for Zach Wheeler. I'm one of those guys that is always a firm believer that he would still be in a Mets uniform right now. Steve Cohen bought the team a year earlier. I wish him nothing but the best. I don't wish him well in this in this start here. But other than that, I am always rooting for the guy. And Zach against the Mets this year in a couple of starts. Has done really well. He has a 1.69 ear ray and a couple 0-1 win-loss record. 10 strikeouts and a little over 10 innings. 
Chris Bassett, however, has done really well in a handful of starts against the Phillies this year. A 1-0 record with a 1.54 ERA, 11 Ks in exactly right around just over 11 innings. So this is one where I'm really curious to see how the Phillies lineup is going to adjust. Are they going to look any different against Seabass with his 5-6 to six pitch mix, right? Or is that going to really throw them off and give Bassett that success that he needs to maybe give the Mets, I don't know, a series sweep or secure the series W? And for Wheeler, how's he going to do shoving in City Field, but probably by far in the biggest atmosphere he's ever witnessed in City Field, or at least in a long time, going back to his days in a New York Mets uniform. This is going to be a very exciting matchup for both sides. I think that this one has a lot of potential to be a pitcher's duel. Again, games one and two, they all have potential here. There's no denying that. But this one, this one, in my opinion, could be a little bit more low offensive than maybe some fans seem to realize. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look. You look at the Phillies guys that they're running out there in this series, and Suarez, I think just like that start in early April, the Mets can run up his pitch count, get him out of there early. I mean, we, you know, we've had, we lead the league in terms of getting opposing starters out before they conclude five innings. So Suarez, I think, can be another victim of that. Nola, you look at his numbers against the Mets, and the guy's a damn good pitcher, but Pete Anthony, you mentioned that matchup. He's 13 for 37 against him. It's a 351 clip, four home runs. Marte, 6 for 18. McNeil, 10 for 34. That's a 294 clip. Nimmo, 11 for 36. It's a 306 average, but he's also got 11 walks, good for a 468 OBP. I mean, all we need is Nimmo to start off, just get to first base, run him up eight, nine pitches. And how many times have we seen that script run its course? Wheeler, on the other hand, you've got Pete, who's eight for 19 off of him. He's great. No one else really hits him. I mean, the team is a collective unit, 35 for 155. It's just a 225 average against Wheeler. Uh, I mean, these guys struggle against him. I think he's definitely going to be, you know, the toughest matchup for the Mets. So I think winning these first two with Max and Jake is really crucial if you want to win the series. Yeah, I think so, too. I think this matchup with Wheeler, look, I I love I I love Zach Wheeler. I I can't. I mean, I won't even try to hide it. Um, I got to catch his first start. Uh, I, you know, I got to watch him kind of blossom as he uh, got better and better. I remember the second half of 2014, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, that second half, people forgot about that. And when we lost him in spring training, 2015, a lot of people in, in the organization, their heads were down. They were low that day. I can remember talking to, uh, some of our staff and some of the other players and, and guys were really upset about losing Wheeler because he was supposed to be. Uh, an integral part of our rotation. And that was such a huge loss. Um, you know, he didn't get to be a part of that year at all as far as at least being on the mound. Um, but I love what I've seen him do with his career uh, over the last, you know, five years since I, since I stopped playing and, uh, or since I, you know, stopped playing with him. And it's just been really fun to see his, um, his evolution, if you will, as a pitcher, because when he first came up, he was a guy who you could get his pitch count up very early. He'd get to three, two counts all the time. He'd walk guys, he'd punch guys out too, but it, it was a lot of almost go big or go home as a pitcher. Well, now he's able to really dominate the strike zone, attack guys. His stuff is elevated. He was 96, 97. He's topping out at 99 now, touching 100 occasionally, um, you know, and he still has a very good pitch mix. Uh, I, I love what he does. So this Mets lineup is going to have their work cut out for him in that last game of the series. 
But again, look, what they've done to him in the past, when they've gotten to him, it's been a couple of singles. They've stayed up the middle. Uh, you know, Pete's had a, a couple of good ABs against them. But outside of that, it really hasn't been much. So it's really going to be up to those guys like Vogelbach, like McNeil, see what they can do as far as putting together good Brandon Nimmo, putting together good at-bats, see if you can make him work. He's probably going to at least go six. So it's hopefully you get him out of there after six, get into that bullpen, and hopefully you made that bullpen work really hard the first two games. And then you'll see, you know, kind of the, the benefits of that in that third game. You know, Anthony, earlier in his career, and this was before we saw DeGrom blossom into who he is now, um, Harvey was up. He came up in 2013. I thought of that young core the Mets had, even adding, you know, Noah, Matt's obviously the five of those guys we thought were going to be all everything forever. Uh, I always said Wheeler had the liveliest arm. Now, you saw DeGrom in the minors. You talked about this a couple episodes ago, how you knew in the minors, like he had that it factor that something special in him who do you think would would you agree that wheeler had the liveliest arm of them or would you say it was jake or even someone else no the ball definitely jumped out of zach's arm uh you know it was really fun to get to catch him early on he had really good spin on his breaking balls too i mean it wasn't just oh this guy's got a good fastball he had really good stuff the only pitch he really was working on for a lot of his career was the changeup. at least early on when i was with him um, but the slider, the curveball, I mean, I thought his curveball was better than he ever knew, and he really doesn't even throw it anymore. But uh, that slider was always good. I, I, yeah, he had a lively arm. He was when you know when he came over, uh, was it from the Giants in the in the Beltran deal, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, he you know, he's he was a prospect then, he was a prospect all the way up till he got called up. It was a ton of um, you know, hype surrounding it. I remember it was a doubleheader in Atlanta. Harvey pitched game one and, and Zach pitched game two, or it might have been the other way around. Maybe, maybe I caught game one with Zach. I don't even remember, but it was so much fun. Um, you know, and the guy had so much ability. You could see it plain as day. But what you could see was he wasn't polished. He he certainly um, you know, didn't necessarily understand how to control the zone the way that he does now. He can control all the quadrants and really make you as a hitter. He could throw you off balance with 99 and a good slider. He's still got the changeup. Um, I love what he brings to the table. It's it's a shame that the Mets uh, basically kind of let him let him go for nothing when they when they did. And like you said, it would have been nice uh, for Steve Cohen to buy the team a little bit earlier <laughs> and and maybe hold on to him instead of doing the whole Marcus Stroman experiment. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, ain't that the truth, Tyler? I do have one more question, one more quick topic I want to get to before we wrap the show up. But do you have any final things on the Philly series before we do that? Is your topic regarding Francisco Lindor or no? No, it is okay. not. So okay, all right. I got. I got. You, you talk. can. You can have at it. Yeah. Let me, let me talk about Lindor for a minute because something that I think a lot of Mets fans. I hope every Mets fan at this juncture has come to the conclusion: Francisco Lindor is good. He's really good, right? And there is still somehow, some way, some fans out there that may have a different opinions. It's his first year of a $341 million contract, and he's casually on pace for 30 bombs, 120 RBIs, over 800 OPS right now, 270-plus average. Post-All-Star break, he's been basically hitting 400. He raked against the Reds. He raked against the Braves. He's doing phenomenal things against every single team. And when you look at what he's doing overall this season, and this will lead me to my point, among shortstops this year, he's first in war. He's third in on-base percentage, third in OPS, third in home runs, first in RBIs, ninth in stolen bags, outs above average, he's fifth, and when probability added, he is first. There's no denying that Francisco Lindor is a mon, if not the best shortstop in baseball right now. But the biggest thing when I look at Francisco Lindor, I want to know everyone's opinions are on this, and that was his post-game comments 
with Steve Gelbs and with SNY overall after their huge 10 to two victory in game three, wrapping up that series against the Reds. He was asked, you know, you tied Wright's record, you know, 13 runs in the same amount of games, right? If he gets one more in uh, Friday against Philly, then he has a new Mets record in fr- franchise history. Same thing with RBIs with Reyes that we discussed earlier. When he was asked about those personal accolades, he looked like a man that was anything but satisfied, anything but even that happy. He just kind of brushed it off and said, yeah, you know, those are nice, but I- I'm just focused on the ultimate goal right now, and that's, of course, winning a championship Lindor, of course, is one of multiple players in the Mets clubhouse that has that winning pedigree, has either won a World Series or been in the dance. That was his case, of course, in 2016 when they lost to the Cubs during his time with Cleveland. But Lindor is so locked in right now to a point where, I mean, it almost feels like Jekyll and Hyde from what we got from Lindor at times last year during his first year as a New York Met. Buck Showalter has come in and really made this clubhouse something special. There's no clicks. There's nothing of that nature. Everyone's locked in in the same mindset. And Buck Showalter really tried to at least have one of those games where Lindor was sitting and Lindor wouldn't allow it, even against the depleted Reds. He said quite literally that I want to be in there battling with the guys every single day. Doesn't matter who we're playing. I think it's so important to be playing every single game, especially with how the Mets are right now down the stretch. I just love everything. This is a guy that, again, broke his finger in a door jam in the first game in L.A., or a couple months ago in June, only missed that first game, then played through his throwing hand right in his middle finger, played every single game. That was low. That was his lowest point of the year offensively, but made up for not long after. Lindor just every single day impresses me more and more, and I think that he is certainly one of, if not the biggest offensive bat to watch for the Mets in this series against the Phillies. He also has the same amount of RBIs and the same amount of runs scored in 12 games against the Phillies this year. He's been a hitting machine against them, always getting on base, always driving in a run, or at least doing it himself. I'm just obsessed with this man. He's been such a blessing for this team since they acquired him. And it's amazing to watch before our eyes a guy that, again, had his struggles in his first year, came in year two under the first year under that $341 million contract, is playing to it even beyond maybe what some fans initially expected heading into the year. I mean, Rec, you hear comments like that. You know, he doesn't want to come out. Mets have a lot of guys like that. Alonzo doesn't ever want to sit. McNeil and Nimmo. I mean, Buck's really got to, you know, just put his foot down with those two guys to get them to sit. What's it like to have teammates like that? Oh, you got to love that. You got to love guys who want to be out there. Um, I also see it a a different way, too. And I I love the way Buck tries to uh, work lineups and get guys, keep guys fresh off the bench because you're going to need those guys, too. And so it's a balance. And but I love guys. Look, who who else is going to play shortstop realistically on this team? Luis Guillorme is probably the only one. I'm not really going to hand it over to anybody else. So outside of that, I mean, and that's nothing against Guillorme, but that's a, a Big step down. Defensively, Guillermo's great. Doesn't have the range that Lindor has. And offensively, of course, he doesn't have the power or or some of the capabilities that Lindor has. So for Lindor to go out there, I think that's uh, obviously something that's innate in him. I mean, getting to play with him, being in the same clubhouse with him in 16 with Cleveland, um, you know, in spring training was really cool. And watching him work, that was just – he was coming off a rookie year and, and uh, not even a full season coming into 16. But you could see, I mean, this guy worked so hard. He cared so much about – Uh, getting better and being a part of the team. Um, And I think what might be some of the problem was last year. I remember when he came over and when he came in, he just suddenly there was, you could tell there was pressure on him, uh, whether it was internally with himself or from the organization to be a leader, uh, Mm -hmm. to be someone who was vocal and talking all the time and, and getting in guys face and look, it's okay. And he is, you know, that guy, he's an intense guy. He likes to work hard, but he's more of a, you know, watch me, 
do as I do kind of a guy. And, and that is what I think he's been able to kind of fall back into now with this team, because they have so many other guys, whether it's Max Scherzer or Mark Canna or, uh, you know, Sterling Marte, whoever it is, they have a lot of guys who can be leaders in that clubhouse plus Buck Walter, plus a guy, a guy like Eric Chavez, who's the, the hitting coach who was, uh, you know, one part of those A's teams back in the day <laughs> that we talked about earlier. So, yeah. uh, you know, guys who have a lot of experience in that clubhouse takes a lot of pressure off him and allows him to just be himself. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Francisco Lindor being himself. And for those of, you know, those people who would still say, oh, well, he still put up some better numbers in Cleveland. Yeah, maybe he did. But I can promise you that hitting in Cleveland is nothing like hitting at City Field. Being at City Field is not as is not easy, guys. That place is tough. We talked about Jake being a day game guy. You know, part of that is because you cannot see the ball at day games. <laughs> field. I swear to you, it is so tough to see the ball when you're hitting. Wow. But anyway, besides that, Francisco Lindor, he has been very good this year. We were just talking about this the other day on, on MLB Tonight. We were kind of ranking the shortstops this year and how they're playing. And um, I put Trey Turner first. I actually put, I gave Dansby Swanson this much of an edge. I'm sorry, guys. I did. I play, I, Like I said, I played with both these guys. I have so much respect for both of them. Yeah. And I hate to do it to Mets fans. I knew. I knew I was going to get flack for it. <laughs> but I gave Dansby just the slightest. But it's literally just because of what Dansby showed me last year and then continued to do it this year. So the consistency, but from what I'm seeing from Francisco so far this year, I mean, it's been fantastic. You can't even argue it. He is one of the top three shortstops in baseball, and you can make a case that he's one or two. I mean, he's right up there. Trey Turner, of course, has been fantastic as well. But uh, it's really been fun to watch him kind of come into his own this year in New York and, and be himself again, uh, driving baseballs, putting together good at bats, stealing bases when he needs to. And of course, playing great defense, which we've come, which we've come accustomed to. Yeah. I mean, look, if you look at some notable Mets acquisitions, Carlos Beltran, Mets got him in 05 and was really pedestrian at the time. It was a record setting contract. What did he do in 06 up until Pete broke it? Beltran tied the Mets single season home run record. Edwin Diaz, 2019. Forget pedestrian, stunk, right? We all know it. Some people still have PTSD flashbacks. 2020, Edwin Diaz, and it doesn't get spoken about because the Mets stunk in 2020, and he only had six saves in that shortened Mickey Mouse season. Uh, I still don't count the Dodgers World Series win, by the way. But Diaz had a, what, 1.35 ERA in 2020? So you see that big jump in year two. And Lindor, I'll go as far as to say that Lindor's jump started in late June of last year. He just had an abysmal first two, two and a half months. And then the bat woke up in late June. I mean, what we saw, the moment I knew Francisco Lindor belonged as a New York Met was the Subway Series. When him and Stanton went shot for shot, home run for home run. And, I mean, Lindor just muscled a nice, nice little flex there, Rick. Um, uh, (laughs) I was just just doing the Lindor, guys. I was just doing the Lindor. Exactly. And uh, Lindor just, you know, muscled this team to victory in that game. He said, look, you know. You guys got Judge and Stanton? Well, Frankie and Pete, I mean, which sounds way more New York, by the way. Frankie and Pete, I mean, Madon, get the gabagol. But it's just like, we're here to stay, we're here to play. And uh, Lindor is going to be a major part of this team's success for years to come. Now, look, before we wrap it up, I did mention that there was one other thing I wanted to get to. And for everyone watching, everyone listening, this is not scripted. They don't know what I'm about to ask. But, Anthony, we'll start with you. Correct me if I'm wrong. You did take your family to City Field not too long ago, right? Was that your kid's first game? 
Uh, that was their, well, I mean, they, they saw me a couple of times. I mean, like they were really young, so I don't know how okay. much that counts, but, um, it basically, yeah, it was their first game, first regular season game since, uh, yeah, since I was playing, which was a long time ago. That's wow. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Well, look, city field, I believe seven, eight straight years now has been ranked the best ballpark for food in America. I'm making my one trip tonight, Friday night, to City Field of the regular season. And I can't wait because every year there's, you know, just like there's new players, there's new acquisitions made on the food front. So, Anthony, got to ask you twofold question here. What did you guys eat when you took your family to City Field? And what is your favorite food at City Field from even your playing days or your broadcasting days? I'm sure, you know, they took care of you guys. So twofold question there on the City Field food. It's, it's a tough one. I could tell you when we were there, we tried to eat as many different things as possible. We're foodies. We love food. We tried to get as I, I asked on Twitter before we went, I said, what's good? Because I had never eaten in the stands. I didn't know. You know, I had never had anything out there. Um, I was told about there was a, a, a filet cheesesteak out in center field. We tried it. I'll be completely honest with you guys, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone. It was awful. <laughs> it was so bad. I don't know if it was a bad like day. I don't know. It was dry. There was like no. I, I just didn't like it. Uh, it was a really. I, I think it was the yeah. I just didn't like it. I've the, heard the, the filet mignon sandwich with the caramelized onions out there. It was it was terrible. It was wow. so bad. Yeah, and like I'm not I a caramelized onion guy, so you could say like you could say like oh you know maybe that. But my wife is a huge caramel; she loves caramelized onions, and she was like, yeah, this is not good at all. So unfortunately, that didn't work for us. Uh, the sausage and peppers were actually pretty good, and that's like yeah. kind of like pretty an e easy thing to get. And then actually, we tried a, a lobster, um, a lobster sandwich, a lobster, lobster, lobster roll. roll. I can't think yeah. right now. Lobster <laughs> roll out. There was also out in center field. That was pretty good. Uh, but I'll tell you, they look, they took care of us. We were down on like the in the front row and we got to go into I don't even remember what it was called. Some Delta, little area where Club. food was free. And I didn't even know that we paid for food around the around the stadium. And then we went down and found out that we had free food. So it's kind of funny. Uh, but they had like some fresh carved like steak and chicken and stuff down there and vegetables. And so that was where I hung out the rest of the game. I ate all the vegetables. <laughs> so there you go. Wardy, what, what's what's your favorite city field food, man? It's tough because, you know, I got to try some new stuff. You know, they have the, uh, really good chicken options in center uh, center field. I didn't get a chance to get to, unfortunately, because I'm just I'm one of those guys. That I really don't want to wait in a long line at all, especially at a game, because literally I took a bathroom break and I'm hearing everyone yell back on Tuesday because McNeil hit the solo bomb. I'm like, of course, like I always miss at least one home run every single time I attend a game. So I'm trying to lessen that. But last time I was there, I was in the Piazza Club and I got pizza. I love every single time I go to New York and get pizza because, again, I reside in PA. So as solid as pizza is around here, it doesn't even touch anything in New York. Like even what is the bomb of the barrel pizza in New York, it's light years ahead of anywhere that you normally get outside of New York for the most part. So I was enjoying that. I also really like that I think it's underrated is, well, one, you got to love the rice balls. That is a big thing, of course. I know, Joe, yes. you're going to say a lot about they're just, oh. you know, I love the pesto ones, especially my girlfriend just goes absolutely not every single time we're there. She's like, I need to get the rice balls. So we go and get the rice balls. But another thing that I honestly really like that I think is underrated as someone like me, again, I'm 21, 22 at the end of the year. I, I still eat like I'm a five-year-old. Give me chicken tenders every day of the week. But <laughs> if you go in the corner, they have a gluten-free section and they have awesome options. They have sushi. I love crab sushi. I honestly might get that tomorrow if I'm being frank, because I really like sushi. 
but they have chicken tender options there that are light years better than any other chicken tenders you'll get around the park. Now that might be different. Again, they have a new chicken option in center. So I'm sure that probably takes a cake, but it's like panko breaded or something. They taste so fresh or again, a million times better than the normal chicken tenders you get at any other little stand around city field. So Again, for people, you don't gotta be, you don't need to be gluten free to want a gluten free food. So go in the corner; they got good stuff over there. Some great sandwiches too. But yeah, those were the first things that popped in my mind. But I definitely need to check more boxes off next time we go, which again is tonight, literally. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like Anthony on this one. I'm I'm a total foodie when it comes to you know I'm trying to see all 30 ballparks, been to 13. The only thing I research beforehand is the best food in each Love stadium that. I go to. So, you know, I, it, it's really important part of the whole, you know, ballpark atmosphere for me when I was working at City Field, I'd get people come up to me, say it's their first time. And I was like enthusiastic about, well, if it's your first time, you got to eat this and then you got to go there and try this and then top it off with, you know, a wow full waffles and ice cream or something at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Shake Shack's obviously delicious, but you can kind of get that anywhere now. It used to be more of like a ballpark specialty and now Shake Shack's have been popping up everywhere. Uh, usually love that filet mignon sandwich. I've had some really good ones. Um, really disappointed to hear that it did not go well because I've had a lot of really good ones. I had it last year, Joe, and I I legit couldn't like eat it. It was that tough. Really? Yeah. Thank you. It was was just, it was, I thought it was me because everybody said Uh, it was great. And I was so confused. I was like, this is just bad. It was really hyped up. Yeah. I don't know why. It was like, yeah, the 20 beans I'm dropping for this. I'm not even eating half the sandwich. (laughs) I'm like, what's the point here? (laughs) Oh man. Maybe the quality's dropped too. Cause I'm picky with steak and I, a tough steak, just throw it out at that point. I mean, I had a porterhouse tonight, totally sidetracking here, but my dad and I went, (laughs) my dad and I went to a happy hour and I had a porterhouse for two done medium rare that was like one of the best things i've ever eaten it's it's so nice to be back in new york um but yeah i think i'm gonna go for that amazing chicken company they got the general so chicken and and i'm not like a chicken tender guy but i heard that their tenders first off are like half the bird i heard that they're huge they are and they got the general so chicken tenders and the cheesy tater kegs which is not something i normally eat but screw it you know my one trip to city field this year gotta you know anthony you you know you just sometimes the diet goes out the window uh, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> rarely rarely it's a trip home to new york i already had my grandma come over with like eight pounds of eggplant parm earlier today so i'm just perfect uh, I'm, I'm i need to stop by your house real quick i love eggplant parm <laughs> anytime man anytime guys that does it episode 13 of believe in queens mets got the phillies then they got the braves then they got the phillies again buckle up the division could be won in the next 10 days or so for Tyler Ward at Wardy NYM, for Anthony Recker at, is it at Anthony Recker or Anthony Recker 20? Anthony underscore Recker. Oh, I think. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, come on, Joe, you're supposed to know this, but even Rec doesn't uh, yeah. know. It. Well, like you know what? I, I think I think his Instagram and his Twitter are different, kind of like okay. mine. So I, one's got a 20. One might there. have a 20. I don't even know. Hopefully, yeah. you'll find it, guys. Just look me up. You <laughs> Now, now he first he was literally flexing. Now he's flexing the check mark. Unbelievable. Well, actually, I don't have a check on Instagram, guys. I don't have a check on it. They won't give me one. I don't know why. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, it's me. Hi. I, 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 <laughs> give me a check. No, can't give me a check mark. Okay, whatever. Maybe, maybe you got maybe you got too much Disney stuff on there. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't go on it. That's probably the problem. I'm never oh, that, on there. Yeah. I do Twitter. I don't really do the Instagram. Uh, that too. For Tyler Ward, for Anthony Recker, I'm Joe Sorello. This was episode 13 of Believe in Queens. We'll see you guys next week. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.